grab your seats. I trust you had a wonderful time together with fellowship, lunch. It's really great being together with everyone. Do grab your seats. All right. We really have a special session here for you this afternoon. We're going to have a panel discussion, and uh, the people on the panel are very special, so I'll introduce them in a moment. Uh, but before we do that, uh, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the food that we've received, and thank you that we are about to receive more spiritual food. We pray that it will nourish our innermost being. And in this session, as we talk about the power and the importance and the practicalities of forgiveness, I pray that you will do something among us. Do something in our hearts. We as a nation, we need to go deeper into forgiveness. We need the gift of repentance. We need the power of forgiveness. And we pray for ourselves and our personal lives, but we also pray for this wonderful nation of ours, that the ministry of reconciliation will truly happen on every level. Let your name be glorified. Amen. Amen. All right, so like I already said, uh, this session is going to be about forgiveness, and uh, my job here this afternoon is to introduce the people that's going to be on the panel. So I want to ask them, without further ado, if I can please come up to the stage. So we're going to have Chris Ludovic as uh, the facilitator, so please do come up, Pastor Chris. Uh, we're also going to have John Andrews, who we truly enjoyed this morning, loved his humor, and obviously the content of uh, his work is very powerful. And uh, of course, Kunai Becker is also going to be uh, with us on the panel, and then Jerome Ocampo, uh, that I'm going to also introduce to you. Just to quickly go through it so that you know, uh, Pastor Chris Ludovic, I think you almost need to know introduction. Um, he is a very special person. He's part of a golden generation. I think we should appreciate that. He's part of a golden generation that did mighty work in this nation. Um, he was a vice moderator of AFM. Uh, so he's out and out a, a church man, a church leader. Uh, but then on a social level, he did tremendous work in South Africa with truth and reconciliation and various reconciliation efforts. Um, I think he mentioned the other day, I was talking to him, he mentioned there's been 40 similar efforts of truth and reconciliation globally currently uh, in, in the last decade or two. And he's been involved not only in terms of South Africa, but also globally. And uh, the thing that strikes me about him on a personal level is that he really speaks to one like a father. And uh, we're hugely appreciative of that. He mentors so many church leaders, uh, so many leaders in general, and he certainly plays a mentorship role for us as a church group. And uh, we're so appreciative of that. We love you. We appreciate you. We can't get enough of you. Uh, so, so I think that's, that's uh, the gist of that. I think John Andrews, we, we don't have to introduce again, but uh, we, we really appreciate the, the word this morning. And, uh, you know, for me, I was thinking about how do I do family and how do I need to grow in that? But I, I was so struck about how interchangeable it is, not just talking about family, but also talking about church community and learning from that. And we, we're so much looking forward to, to what you're going to say. Uh, Jerome Ocampo, I've got to say one or two things more about because he's a newcomer to the stage, at least for us. 
but he's been in ministry for years. Uh, they did put it down here for me. I think it is. Let me not lie. Um, you see, phones, it doesn't work for me. You'll be glad to know. Um, he's been in ministry for 32 years. That is a wealth of experience. Uh, it's such a privilege to have you here. Uh, he's from the Philippines. The church is growing rapidly. Uh, in the Philippines, it is marvelous to see the work that God is doing there. Uh, he's highly involved in intercessory movements, prayer, uh, and also youth movements. And uh, his church uh, has got a very interesting setup there. They're in a mall, and uh, you get much better service there, I think, than any other shop. Uh, but certainly doing tremendous work there. And it's, uh, I think the Philippines as such is also an interesting uh, social environment currently. Many things happening there that mirrors uh, that is happening in South Africa. So we really do want to hear. And then, of course, Kunai Baka, we, we really do not need to almost introduce again. But let me just say from a, from a personal level, it's really astounding to see how he moves between various theological fields. I, I don't know if you guys um, realize how difficult that is. But moving between Old Testament, New Testament, church history, I'm still trying to figure out what you specialized in. Um, it, it, he's a man that knows everything, I think. From my perspective, at least, he's a man that knows everything. Um, so without further ado, I'm, I'm going to let them do their, their magic for us here this afternoon. And like I say, Pastor Chris Ludovic is going to uh, lead the conversation and facilitate the conversation. Let's give him a hand again and open our hearts. Good afternoon. This is always known as the ungodly hour. <laughs> Just want to assure you that we got some people out all over watching those who are sleeping, <laughs> and they will be brought forward here. <laughs> Thank you so much for affording us the opportunity and the privilege of just chatting to you this afternoon, because this is what it's about. We had the sermons and we had the preaching so this afternoon, we are going to talk about a subject which is very relevant and a subject that needs to be addressed more and more. There has never been a moment so urgent and so appropriate as the moment now, more particularly talking about the country South Africa and probably those of you who are not from South Africa would say, well, we have similarities in our country. That's true. But from the point of view of finding reconciliation and having, you know, people seek forgiveness, it's a tough thing, and there's not many who find it possible or even ready to do something about it. In our own country, we have often spoken about the journey of the 23 years, but there has never been a time where forgiveness needs to be searched and applied and prayed for as it is now. There were years that we felt that we were on the right road. Somewhere along the line, some of the things that has stayed under the surface has come up. And, uh, and now we find ourselves 
almost where we were. But the God that brought us out in the first place is still God. And because he's still on the throne and he still loves this country and has saved this country from a definite disaster, I do not believe that he has brought us this far to simply drop us here. So for us, I'd like to say that we would like to talk about the things that made us or made it possible for us to... 22, 23 years ago, made it possible for us to find one another in such a way that we almost felt that, you know, some things never existed. And uh, I had the privilege to have been there from the very, very beginning, saw it from the very first day that things happened with the negotiations, and to have seen it where it started and where the negotiations ended was something almost magical, but truly it was godly. And then we set on the road, and as we set on the road, we traveled with joy, with happiness. Yes, problems, much to be done, but now we found ourselves at a place where things has gone awry. It's, in some cases, almost go backward. And I'm talking about the area of forgiveness. Those who have even sought forgiveness and given forgiveness, uh, all of a sudden are thinking whether was it all worth it? Was it worth it all? I believe it was worth it all. I believe that uh, God brought us where we are today, and it's not, as I said, because he's going to leave us here, because the half has never been seen or, or even noticed of what this country can, can achieve. The pain of people that have come up, those who have suffered and felt almost their suffering is over, we're in a new South Africa, uh, all of a sudden remains now in a, in a position where they feel the pain is back. Anger is obvious, obvious all over our country, and uh, we need the Lord. And the Lord needs you and I. And because I was a witness of seeing how it happened in the first place, I'm a believer that it can happen again. I want to congratulate Shofar Christian Church for their boldness and their openness to wanting to discuss the subject. Most churches are scared of it. (laughs) They don't want to touch it. Let us just be Christians and church and let us love one another and carry on, and we have our services as if nothing is happening out there. It's all just, what's the word, honky-dory? Something like that. (laughs) It's far from that. And we're blinding ourselves if we think so. But I'm thankful that God has uh, touched the hearts of the leadership so that they have brought us back and said, let's talk about it. Let's not just talk about that, those things that are 
you know, nice feelings. Let's also talk about the things that are painful. And uh, most of you know my testimony and, uh, uh, and have read a little bit, so uh, I'm going to allow the other specialists that are here, uh, you know, to talk more than I. And uh, in between, I will try not to interject, but just to make a small contribution. But let it suffice to say that I salute Shofa for their boldness, and I salute you for having taken the stand to say, let us talk. One of the problems is that we don't want to talk until it's the outburst. It's almost like uh, a mom and dad or a couple at home, you know. They first cross with one another for a day or two, uh, you know, and then you look, uh, look at the other one, who's going to start the, the conversation, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, normally it's the husband that must start because he's the guilty one always. <laughs> but uh, but there's always difficult to start. So let us start here and let us take this forward. Let it not be the last because we got a journey that we got to get onto and we got to make South Africa, I'm not going to say great again. Uh, <laughs> we've got to make South Africa better again. Or shall I say, like some Cape Townians say, let's make it better. <laughs> yeah. I think, first of all, let us hear from people who have had experiences in South Africa. I did my little bit for now. And uh, maybe, Professor, if you can uh, uh, carry us on from there, and then we bring in the two other countries. I know you are from other countries, but we still sort of hold on to you as South Africa. Okay. And gladly so, yes. What a wonderful privilege it is. So one of the hardest things when it comes to forgiveness is not just the ability to forgive someone else, but it's to ask for forgiveness. And I do want to say to you that as Christians, there really is no option. I'm one of those people that believe that it's much harder to follow Christ than not to. And the reason why I think it is much harder to follow him is that we do not have the option to have grievances. We, don't, we, we simply do not have the option to live in unforgiveness. And it's interesting to me as I've traveled throughout the world, <clears throat> I've seen a parallel, Pastor Chris, in what has happened in South Africa um, and what's happened in the church. So often I move between churches that absolutely hate one another. Mm -hmm. I live in a city now that is, is heavily churched. Um, we actually have more churches than cows. This is actually factually true. And um, <clears throat> the one street that I, <clears throat> that's very close to my home, um, I've counted there are 63 churches wow. in this one road. I've preached in 40 of them. Wow. And um, it's really interesting to kind of just hear and find out what churches say about one another. And often some of those hurts go back to the 1800s and the 1700s and sometimes even long uh, before that. And as I started to wonder why in the world it is that we're not willing to talk about this. 
I was reminded of something that happened in the very, very early church, and, and this I want to bring back to South Africa just for a moment. So in the beginning of the fourth century, um, the church became very, very concerned that it was indeed corrupt. And so one of the things they did is they started to work on a diagnostic tool to, to somehow think about their own lives and ask the question, well, what is wrong, right? Out of this came a list of sins. We, we joke about these sins, right? You've heard of the seven deadly sins, right? Uh, many of us are very, very well familiar with them. But nonetheless, and we tease and joke about that, but those, those lists originally was to help us think about what was wrong. Now, what's interesting to me is that originally there was not seven, but eight. So I'm interested in that one sin that got lost, <laughs> right? And um, that sin that was lost is an interesting one. It's not a one that we ever use um, anymore. And the word is, the sin is called acedia. Acedia. It comes from a Greek word, akadia, which means not to care. And this is what acedia is. It is moral sloth. It is moral laziness. A quick example of this, my son came back from school the other day and he said something in the car. Um, as the English would say, he's got the gift of cheekiness. Um, and, and, you know, he can talk. And he said something that was wrong, and so uh, he came home, and I had to discipline him. And the only way you discipline an Italian is that you put them alone for five minutes. Uh, <coughs> it is indeed the end of the world. And uh, so he has to be in his room for just five minutes. And this is what he did. He shot out his hand, and he said, whatever. Yeah. Oh, yes. So he looked uh, at my face, and he said, Papa, is there a lecture coming? Yes, indeed, my son. And so he had a 45-minute lecture on acedia. This is it, whatever. <laughs> Folks, here's the problem in South Africa. <clears throat> Every time I travel here, I overhear conversations where people have the equivalent of the moral whatever. It's not that we don't know what's wrong, but that we suffer from acedia. Moral sloth, laziness. We know what is the right thing to do, but we just cannot rouse ourselves to get to that place. The early church says that the sin of Assyria is quite interesting to identify it with the noonday devil. Right? That's the word that is used. They say it's the devil that visits you right after lunch. <laughs> and it's this devil of, you know, just keeping you, kind of just making you fall asleep. And folks, if you've noticed, folks, if you've, if you've looked at churches and have looked at generations of people that are caught in moral laziness, there's a slumber that is upon them. And all that you want to do is that you want to go and shake them. Uh, right at my early convergence, um, um, convergence, uh, uh, convergence experience, right, um, I was among some early Pentecostals and and Pastor Christos, early Pentecostals were really wild. They used to have what they call shake services. You know, they would grab you and then shake you, you know, until you feel better. <clears throat> or whatever the devil's left. And sometimes that's really what you want to do. You want to go and grab people and just shake them. It's what Paul says. How can you still be sleeping? And I believe that in order to address the power and the need for forgiveness, we have to start there. 
in America right now, it's, it's the biggest surprise for me as I moved to the States. I thought they had the racial issue solved. It's not been solved. Actual fact, it is at fever pitch right now. Fever pitch, we are doing everything in our power to protect our students. We're having very difficult conversations right now with faculty and students and in our city as well. That's where you have to start, addressing that moral laziness and sloth. All right. Folks, I need to stop here because I can, I can just preach right now. <laughs> Go ahead, Pastor Chris. Well, you're far from finished, but uh, how about us traveling to uh, Philippines and see how it goes in Philippines? Yeah, I like to say I'm not from Malta. Oh, I'm from Manila. Oh, <laughs> oh sorry. Yeah. It's close. It's yes. Close, yeah. Well, I'm involved as a pastor of a church. We all know deal with the, uh, you know, uh, issues of unforgiveness. But when I got involved in the ministry of the body of Christ, I was really hit in the face. We gathered our uh, a day of prayer and fasting in the Philippines, where 150,000 people come. From all, all, from all our uh, regions and from every denomination, from the Baptist, the Presbyterian, the Catholics. And when I was mobilizing for that prayer, this, this whole issue was hit, you know, because I've spoken to some of the top denominational leaders and they specifically told me, if that guy's going to come, I'm not gonna come. If, uh, if you are going to have him speak, you will have to have me speak. And I said, sir, it's a prayer gathering. It's not a conference. And I was literally faced with that. And I, I said to myself, if heaven really had a headache, it would be the unity of the church. That This unity of the church is definitely the migraine of heaven. And uh, trying to unite the church is one of the hardest things to do. It's not because they, are, they cannot agree in dogma or in politics but it's basically unforgiveness. And uh, it come to me realize when we were gathering young people to mobilize cities and the young people are very excited, very passionate, but they have no experience of being offended. Then finally at the end of the exercise, almost all of them would come to me and they would say, I'll never do this again. I was offended by this pastor. I was offended by this youth pastor. This, they said they will come, but they never came. They said they promised to, to support, but they never support. And so this young generation gets so upset with the older generation because of the hang-ups. And I realized when I was teaching among the young leaders that there's one thing we need to teach the young people, not just the ability to forgive. Because if you know how to forgive, but you get back home, they will still do it again to you. Then that's going to be even worse. Jesus says, how many times do you forgive your brother? And 70 times 7, right? It doesn't mean you have a, a counter at home or you're 498. In one more, you're, go, you're going to be dead, right? But it means it's not enough to, have a, to be able to forgive. You have to have a forgiving spirit. And the reason for a forgiving spirit is that we have to accept the fact that we will offend each other. And the only way you can have a forgiving spirit is to surrender your right to be offended. When we had gathered our young leaders, we said, if you're going to be part of Jesus' revolution, you have to surrender your right to be offended or else you'll be part of the problem. And once you learn to surrender your right to be offended and your personal rights, then you acquire a forgiving spirit. 
and the forgiving spirit, you will be a powerful force for the unity of the church. Without a forgiving spirit, we, it will be impossible to unite the church. And uh, not only mention that, if you talk about generational issues, the prejudice between the generations is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more. You know, if you are a millennial, you know, the negative opinions on millennial has increased and people think that, oh, they're just entitled group, there's no hope for them. But I can tell you this, within the next 10 years, we will all be overrun by millennials. You know, people working in a company, you know, they, you work there for 30 years and all of a sudden they hire uh, three or four millennials to your company, like 19, 20 years old, and they learn the computer program in five minutes, but you have to take you two weeks to learn. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're just that sharp and that fast. And so the divide between uh, the, the two generations is becoming in increasingly greater. Unless we apply a spirit of forgiveness, it will continue to just con split the generations. You know, I remember uh, young people, uh, fathers complaining to me saying, oh, I just don't understand my teenagers, you know. I asked them, could you set me up a Facebook? Could you help me teach me how to do Facebook? And the, and the son would say, oh, dad, it's too difficult. Let me just do it for you. <laughs> You think, too you, you're, you think too slow. And that's, that's just like a, an anecdote, but that's really growing between the generations. So I've seen senior pastors, they've never trust their young leaders because they, they're, they're weary about them. They, they don't think they have the experience. But I can tell you, brothers and sisters, if we put qualifications for our senior leadership, Jesus would not even be qualified. He's only 33 years old. He won't be qualified for senior leadership. And all the disciples will be very young, right? So I think one of the obstacles we need to face is not only the political or doctrinal or denominational divide, but also the generational divide. Yeah. Now wow. from, straight from uh, the USA, at the U.S. No, <laughs> UK, UK. Don't don't say that the UK is the US. Don't don't do that. You've you've just created a third world war right there, Pastor Chris. We were just getting to forgiveness and it's gone. Will you forgive me? I, I will. I will. Okay. Um, no, no, absolutely. I, 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 if if I can share, I mean, I was raised in Belfast, which uh, some of you of a certain age. Uh, will remember uh, the troubles in the context of that. And in my reflections, uh, even growing up, I've tried to ask the question, why is forgiveness so difficult? So intuitively, I think every human being, whatever their background, sort of knows it's a good idea. Um, and there are even non-Christian traditions that would have very wise things to say about the need for forgiveness. I, I've been in Christian ministry 30 years uh, in the sense of getting paid full-time to do this, which is amazing. And uh, I, I've genuinely only really thought of quitting the ministry, not Jesus, but the ministry twice in that time, genuinely. You know, we've all, most pastors in the room have had bad Sundays. And I was told, never resign on a Sunday night, always wait till Monday morning. And uh, so, so we've all had bad Sundays where we thought, oh, I've done with this. But actually, when we analyze it, we're really not done. We've just had a bad day. But I, I almost quit the ministry twice, and it was on the issue of unforgiveness. 
and uh, I knew I should. I knew it was wise. I knew it was proper. I knew I shouldn't have a whatever attitude to it. And yet, I convinced myself that I could not forgive until the Holy Spirit, in his own inimitable, glorious way, uh, changed one word and said, no, it's not that you sort of can't forgive. It's that you won't forgive. And uh, what stops me forgiving? It's things as base as ego, you know, my pride, sense of fairness. It's not fair. Not only is he getting away with it, but God is blessing him (laughs) when God should have killed him by now (laughs) for getting away with this. Do you know what I mean? Like, we've all been there, haven't we? So the great macro challenges, which are enormous of, of, of the church in South Africa and Northern Ireland and places like that, actually, and, and I admire the work of Pastor Chris and what, what he has done, but of course, at the heart of those great macro are just broken people who've got pride issues and ego issues and uh, an unwillingness to let go of their own agenda in, in order for the greater good. Uh, the sense of unfairness, the sense of injustice is one of the, the hardest things. And can I just say this, and maybe the panel can help us with this. I think there's a profound difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. So you can forgive without reconciling, but you cannot find true reconciliation without forgiveness. So, so actually... I think where many Christians struggle is we automatically stick the two things together. So when, when Pastor Chris says, forgive, you know, uh, and, and we're encouraged by our local pastor to forgive, often we're automatically sticking those two things. I have to forgive and reconcile. And many of us back off forgiveness because I do not want to reconcile. Right? We need to have a conversation before we get this thing reconciled. And that's the phenomenal work Pastor Chris has been involved with in South Africa. That's, that's tough. It, can I say this? Really, don't throw anything at me, right? Just wait till I finish the sentence. It is relatively easy to forgive. It is much more difficult to reconcile. Uh, but many of us struggle even to get to the place of forgiveness because we're, we're nervous about what reconciliation uh, looks like. And I found that immensely difficult uh, as a pastor, as a father, um, uh, as a husband, as a human being, let alone grapple with the macro issues of, of my nation. And I think what we've, we've got, to, in, in pursuing forgiveness, we've got to be really honest about ourselves and be honest about our struggles and be honest about the fact, I, if it wasn't for the fact Jesus was telling me to do this, I would not do this. Because I want vengeance, I want justice, I want my own back, I want what I want. And that's, I find that is, is profound. The, the old phrase, which could be in the Bible, but really isn't, to forgive, uh, to err is human, to forgive is divine. Uh, that's actually, God has placed within us the ability to forgive, but forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. If you're waiting for your feelings, Hell will freeze over before we get to do this. 
So it, it's not a feat. If I had waited till I felt like forgiving the person that I nearly quit the ministry over, I, I'd, I'd be lost by now. I'd, be, I'd probably be completely backslidden. So I had to come to a place, and here's how the Holy Spirit gave it to me, and, I, and I'll, I'll hand over to the team here. The Holy Spirit confronted me. Here's what he said to me, as clear as a bell. He said to me, do you want to live or do you want to die? It was that simple. It was like, do you want to live or you want to die? Not, do you want to be right or do you want to win? <laughs> it was, you want to live or die, John. And here's what the Holy Spirit said to me. If you hold on to this, you're dead. It's over. You're going to die. Because unforgiveness, essentially, we become the living dead. We, we, we're, we're just waiting for the funeral, aren't we? So, so we're just postponing that moment. And the Holy Spirit said to me, if you want to live, you must forgive. You must forgive. And I remember kneeling down on my bed, beside of my bed, and forgiving this person. I felt nothing. I was hoping for a couple of angels to turn up. <laughs> Bit of a jamming session with the angels. Come on, lads. Well done, John. Good lad. I was you know, expecting maybe a phenomenal blessing from Jesus to drop through the door. That's my boy. Nothing, nothing happened. I felt nothing. In fact, it took ages for my, my emotions to catch up with my decision. I felt really bad. But I knew I had made the right decision because forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a decision. And it's, an, it's a transactional decision. You're making a decision to cancel a debt. You're making a decision to send something away from you. And that doesn't necessarily feel good to begin with. But eventually, the emotions sort of, sort of catch up. And, and, and I, 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 just, I think if we're going to go on the journey of forgiveness, whether it's macro, at this sort of incredible level that Pastor Chris and others have, have worked on, I've never touched this, or just micro stuff with your next-door neighbor, you know, your cat killed their dog or something so it's which is it's more likely to happen actually it's more cat, cats are nasty so cats eat dogs if Jesus was here he would have a dog not a cat so so cats eat dogs it's it's facing the issues do you understand what I mean we've got to be honest with ourselves why we're not forgiving and then I think we can we can open up our hearts to the Holy Spirit and the light of the Spirit to help us make that decision to move forward. Is that helpful, Pastor? Very helpful. Okay. I do believe that one of the words that you said at the end just struck me when you said uh, there needs to be an honesty in the whole thing of forgiveness. Um, when you see a group of people and you say, look at them and you see them smiling and having a good time, it almost gives you the impression that these are people that have all forgiven. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about other people in other groups. <laughs> but they, they have all forgiven everybody, and they have no enmity towards anybody. But unforgiveness, I have found, also has a smile. And sometimes people look the most pleasant as if there's nothing that troubles them in the world. He is a personal witness of that. 
I took many, many years to forgive. But if you looked at me, well, not now, I was younger and much more, you know, okay. But if you looked at me and you heard me, you would say, wow, what a forgiving person, what a lovely spirit, and so. And I was never rude, and I was pleasant, of course, except in the boardroom with uh, the white leaders. And, uh, and I'm leading the, the other groupings. Uh, there we are dangerous, I mean, absolutely dangerous, anything short of just punching one another. But we come out of there and we have the biggest smiles. But I hated every single one of them. God forgive me. He did. It took me years. Because even with unforgiveness, you can have smiles and say, it's not me, I'm, I'm okay. They're really talking about somebody else. You know? But real forgiveness sets you free. It sets you completely free. It cannot be done without the Lord. And I don't want to go into my testimony because then, you know, we've got to book this place for another day or two. But uh, let me assure you that uh, it is a fact that there is more than just we are nice people. It's more than that. On the one side, you have the church and the fellowship of believers and friends. On the other side, you had the political thing, and I'm not now referring to the political area. Uh, but it's going to start by us as Christians to have that absolute assurance that we have forgiven and are forgivers. It took me many years. I've been preaching for 65 years. I started when I was seven. Uh, but uh, if I think of how many of those years, I actually did the most pleasant sermons yeah. in bitterness, wow. absolute bitterness. Wow. Wow. It took a miracle from God to take me from where I was to where he has brought me. And those, not only the fight in the boardrooms and fights in politics and all of that, but just amongst Christians in the church. And we have found more unforgiveness in the churches than we have found in some of the bars and the clubs outside. You say, but it's better now. Well, I hope. But the Lord should do something or allow, we should allow him to do something in our lives that we really taste what is called forgiveness. I have tasted it. I cannot live even being cross with somebody for 10 minutes, then I go look the person up and say, listen, I didn't mean that, hey. Because he truly set me free to that from hating every single white person in this country. Forgive me. I'm sure you have. But the day he set me free, when I confronted it, and I don't want to give testimony, I'm just giving an example. The day I was confronted, and it had to be a God thing, absolutely, it changed me 
completely. And now I am absolutely amazed. I look in the mirror, I count my friends, and 90% of them are so-called white. (laughs) It's just the opposite. But what I'm trying to say is we, we need to search across in our churches, wherever we are, and search where we are so that when we get outside to preach that gospel, we preach a gospel that we have truly experienced. I went as far at the end where the the Lord challenged me, and I walked around for days trying to find, is there anybody, is there, could it be that one, could it be, is there somebody, until I was absolutely sure And even when I was not sure, I went to go make sure that I am not in a situation of hate or unforgiveness towards somebody. And I can tell you this, it's a beautiful place to be. It's the best place to be. I would exchange my last 30 years, uh, 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 I wouldn't exchange my last 30, 35 years for those years before. When everything was well, you feel spiritually well, but only not with your brother and sister. We got to get the church in that place so that those who are needing us out there, we are ready for them to show that example. I see you sort of uh, got, yeah, 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 you, you seem ready. There's a movement there. Okay. <laughs> These two, these two, I just want to say, have you ever seen two preachers with greater movements than this? When Ross came up, he asked me, actually, how does he manage it? Because they were all like this, <laughs> you know? And Ross came here, and he sort of did this, you know, Afrikaner, of course, yeah. But what great calves he has. Oh, thank you so much. Um, Pastor Chris, when I listen to you, you sound like a doctor of the church. The first time this word doctor is used, and it's such an important word, and I'm not speaking about academic doctors. It's by a church father called Basil the Great, and he said, what we need are doctors in the church. People that can look at the church and identify what is wrong. Can diagnose ailments and prescribe medicine. This is so important. And as I'm listening to my brother share so beautifully and so wisely, I'm hearing a threat. And the threat that I'm hearing is what keeps us from forgiving or asking for forgiveness is that root sin of pride. Pride is an interesting sin. It really is. Um, It's always fascinating to me the Jewish rabbis, even before the time of Christ, said that the first sin was not pride. The first sin was the sin of envy. Satan looked at God and said, I want what he has. And folks, envy is a tricky sin. It's a sin by which our economy is run. Look at every commercial on television and it's based on envy. But what envy will do for you is that envy will lock you into a place where you cannot see beyond yourself. And there's no man more blind than the man that cannot see beyond himself. When you're caught in envy, all that you can think is about what I don't have. That's the root of forgiveness. 
That's where you start. It's that root of envy that needs to be addressed. In the scriptures, it's interesting, the first murder that occurred happened between two brothers where one suffered from envy, spiritual envy. He saw that God blessed the other one and he said, I'm going to kill this man, my brother. We do the same today. And folks, where does, how do we remedy this? How do we, how do we change this? Mm-hmm. Jesus gave us the answer in that extraordinary prayer that he, taught, that he taught his disciples. It's a prayer that we know so well that we probably don't know it at all. And he made the statement, he says, Father, forgive us as we forgive those yes. who have sinned against us. What's the, what's the remedy? What's the remedy to envy? There's a marvelous author by the name of Reagan Sutterfield who's written tons on this. And, and he says, the only remedy to envy is humility. Mm-hmm. And folks, what will humility do for you? Humility helps you to see yourself in the right context in truth. And it's only when you stand before God and you see yourself for who you are. David said it this way. He says, my sin is ever before me. Folks, it's easy to hold a grievance. It's easy to be offended if you're not aware of your own sin. But once you see yourself for who you are, in actual fact, Pastor Chris has already led the way for us because what he just did here is quite prophetic. He showed his own sin. Didn't sit here and point out everybody else's sin. He was saying, forgive me, forgive me. And folks, this is where it starts. How do you get rid of envy? How do you get rid of acedia? You go before God and you say, you say, show me, show me who I am. Mm-hmm. Now that's a dangerous prayer to pray because you will. <laughs> Immediately. He will put that mirror in front of you and you will see how desperately wicked we all are. Imagine God had to treat us the way we treat others. Where would we be? And so the power of forgiveness starts when we recognize who we are and the forgiveness that we've received. Jesus told a number of parables around us. And at that point, we can turn around and say, okay, (laughs) yes, help me to forgive the others. Maybe I am much worse. And I'll end with this before I give to my brothers. And Jesus said it so beautifully. He said, the only way that you can identify a little piece of wood in somebody else's high It's because you have a bigger piece. Uh And so where does forgiveness start? It starts with that act of humility, going before God. And Pastor Chris said a very, very wise thing. It starts in prayer. I think it's tremendously important that we need to speak to one another. But folks, if you come to the table in pride and arrogance, if you come to the table, I don't know if you've ever had a friend that talks more than what you talk. I have a couple of friends like that, and they take me out every few weeks, and it's so painful. You know, I sit and I have coffee, and they don't give you one small opportunity to say anything back. It goes on for three hours, and then at the end they say, I love talking with you, and I want to say, no, my brother, you love talking to me. (laughs) And you know, uh, in in some moments, I I might have an opportunity to say something back, but even if I speak, I can just see his mind is spinning. He's thinking about what he's going to say. When we're obsessed with self, we cannot hear or see the other person. Folks, where does it start? It starts in prayer. 
Oh God, show me who I am. Deliver me from pride and arrogance. Lift me up to that place that's higher. And then strangely enough, you can see others. The power of that forgiveness flows out of the experience of forgiveness that we have received. And this is why the church is uniquely positioned and uniquely gifted to be the agents of not only forgiveness or reconciliation, but also peace. I'd like to make a comment what John mentioned about uh, injustice, which is one of those things that in your efforts to try to forgive, you feel that it's not just. Uh, we have uh, many instances, even in our nation, we have been oppressed for many years. Now here, sometimes you put the, the macro to the micro together. You know, I think one of the reasons why it's so hard to forgive in the church is that the lack of practice of restitution. If somebody makes a mistake or does something wrong, he or she is not willing to restitute for it, and so therefore, there's a sense of injustice. Mm-hmm. You know, when the uh, story of Zacchaeus, when he stood up, when he was having lunch with Jesus, he says, uh, if I have stolen money from anyone here, I, I'll pay you four times, and I'll give half of my money to the poor. And instantly, I can tell you, all the people who have, that he had offended in yeah. that table yeah. immediately forgave him. The church has, you know, maybe in the name of grace, had taken the restitution out of the equation. And because of that, it's harder to distinguish forgiveness from pardon. We might have the right to forgive, but we might not have the right to pardon. There's a real uh, macro story in Indonesia. And uh, three girls were kidnapped by Muslim youth. And uh, these three girls were coming from a Christian school on the way home and they were kidnapped, and they were beheaded, and they put the heads of these girls in front of the Christian school. It was a horrible story. It was nationwide plastered all over the Indonesian news. And then what happened was they caught the three guys, and they, they, they put it on live television. They will bring these teenagers into confrontation with the parents of the girls. Now, could you imagine the, the, the intensity of the emotions in that room? When they brought the three teens, they were shaking, they were afraid to face the parents. And you know what the parents of these three girls did? They were Christians. They came out and then hugged those three boys. Amazing. And the whole nation wept. In fact, these parents knew they were still going to go to, you know, uh, death penalty. They have no authority to pardon, but they can't forgive. And you know, the impact on, on that incident in the country, the, the moderate Muslims said, these Christians are real. We have never seen anything like this. And so they started a movement among the moderate Muslims to try to reconcile uh, Christians from the extreme Muslims. This is initiated by the Muslims themselves because of forgiveness. Because uh, if we can... Uh, separate pardon from forgiveness I think we will have a a better ability to forgive and I think that uh, you know in my country we have been oppressed so many times as a nation and for us we believe that the way to be released from that is forgiveness because God says vengeance is mine I will repay don't take that right surrender that right and I'll take care of the rest Amazing. 
Yeah, just, just to add to that, amazing, incredible. You know, as a parent, you sort of try and get your head into that one. That's incredible. Um, when my youngest daughter was a little bit younger, uh, she was out playing in the garden with her friends, and we heard a, a terrible commotion, squealing, crying. She came running in, and she held up her finger. She'd cut her finger in the garden, and there was blood. And of course, to a, a young child, blood, it's, it's serious. And so my wife lifted her up, uh, cleaned off the blood, and it was just a little, little tiny cut. But, you know, to a child, it was a big thing. And so my wife put a, a gorgeous little plaster, pink plaster, uh, on her finger, and off she went. When she went into the garden, she sort of played very gingerly. So she was sort of like the pink sort of plaster was being waved in the air to show her friends, don't touch the finger, leave the finger alone. After a little while playing with her friends, she completely forgot about the finger and just carried on playing and had an amazing time for about another hour or so in the garden. Came back in, I was sitting in the living room, she came like a whirlwind through the dining room from the garden, through the dining room into the living room. And as she was sort of hurtling towards the stairs to go upstairs, uh, I said to her, darling, darling, how's your finger? She went, ooh. Oh, it's so painful. All right. Um, and, and you know, right there I had a bit of a moment that, that when, she, when she took her eyes off the pain, she was able to engage in the world around her. And like the, the, the ability of parents to hug young men who will have brutally treated uh, their daughters in this way is, is truly staggering. There is a, an incredible tragic story in, in the Gospels of a woman who so hated a man of God that when given a blank check in up to half the kingdom of King Herod, she made a choice for his head. It, and it says of her, it says, she held a grudge, nursed the grudge against him. Um, it, this is not in the Bible. It's, uh, it's from another sort of religious context, but there's a, a phrase that says, if, if we are going to seek vengeance, uh, we need to dig two graves. Um, you know, one for the person we're gonna kill and one for ourselves. And, and there's something very powerful. It was uh, Pastor Jerome just said there, vengeance is mine. You know, I, I, I've come to this conclusion, having grown up in Northern Ireland, where in the space of just a few years, 4,000 civilians were killed and uh, over uh, 350 British soldiers were killed on the streets of my, my province. Uh, uh, members of my family and friends killed in the troubles. I've come to the conclusion that humans aren't equipped for vengeance. That's why God says don't do it. Not because we can't, but because we're really bad at it. And because even when we do it, it doesn't answer the question. So even when we see the person that hurt us hurt, it doesn't take away our pain. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, so even if God zapped them, you're still in pain. Because your pain and my pain, the finger, is not now to do with what they have done. It's to do with the fact that we're nursing the grudge. We're whole, and if you're honest with me, and we're trying to be really vulnerable with you, the worst moments in my life have been, whether it's with my wife, not settling an argument before we go to bed, being grumpy all night, backs to each other, one, one end of the bed, 
the other one, I'm obviously the only person that's done that, so let me just explain. So she's at one end of the bed with her back to me, and I'm at the other end of the bed, and there's a gulf between us, similar to that of the sort of demilitarized zone in North and South Korea, right, right there, okay? Um, and you know what that happens? Because we're nursing a grudge, uh, falling out with my children, because I wanted them to be something and they're not, they're not matching up, falling out with members of my congregation, falling out with neighbors. Uh, all of those things we're prone to because there's something dark within us wants to hang on. Even though we know it's bad for us. You know, somebody said unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> and, and we're hanging on to it. Because somehow, sadistically, it's sort of making us feel good, but it's actually killing us. And that's why God says to us, leave vengeance to me. If you take your law, the law into your own hands, this will kill you. It will destroy you. And, and the hardest thing for me has been to release my control over the situation uh, and say, okay, I'm going to place this in hands of God. And by placing it in hands of God, here's what we're not doing. Oh, Jesus, please kill them. Thank you. It's, Lord, I, I'm, I'm giving them to you. You do whatever you want. And if you choose to bless them, that's okay. And, and here's, here's the last thing I'll say, because uh, these guys are, 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 are much more qualified in terms of the macro issues than I am. But here's the last thing I'll say. The acid test for me as to whether I've truly forgiven someone or not, it's, it's two things. Number one, can I sincerely pray for them? So when nobody's looking, no lights, no band, no sexy French horn going on there. It's just, it's just me, right? Nobody's listening, nobody's watching. Only Jesus is listening. If I can honestly, in that naked moment, say, Lord, bless them, I know I'm free. Right? I may not feel like it, but I know I'm free. And, and, and here's the second difficult bit, and I haven't always done this bit very well, but then if I can move from, from praying for them to somehow making some form of physical connection, if that's possible and practical, it's not always possible, not always practical, but if it is, and I can take a step of generosity towards them, something breaks. It, it, it frees me from the grip of the grudge and it sets me free. I, I would love to say to you, I'm a world expert at that, uh, but I'm really not. I'm still learning, and every single day I have to make a conscious decision to let things go, every day. Uh, but I've found if I can kneel before the Father and, and in my broken nakedness say, Lord, bless them, then I sort of get off my knees freer then I got down on them. I, I don't know if that helps or makes sense, but uh, that, that's how I've tried to process some of these incredible issues that we're dealing with. I believe we haven't got almost any more time left. Uh, what we need is plenty of hours more than this. But I'm glad that it, we've begun. And when I say we, I speak as part of the Shota clan here. Uh, we've begun, but it must only be the beginning. We've got to work on this so that we can not only have ourselves free, but we can bring others to freedom. Yeah, absolutely. 
we cannot go and look at the newspaper, the television, and there start swearing at those that are there doing all kinds of things in hatred, but we are having some ourselves. We got to start at home and have reached that place where the church and the leadership and everybody knows we have worked on it and we may not get 100 out of 100, but if we get 99, what a, what a percentage, to get our people that they live with that absolute assurance, the Lord has set me free. I know it happens when we avail ourselves to Christ. It happens. I, I was speaking to my brother, and I won't talk long, uh, you know, about Ireland. Uh, when I heard he was from Ireland, I shared with him me preaching one night in Ulster Hall. And you, of course, know Ulster Hall. I mean, you know, that place must be so filled with bitterness. And so were the speeches that have gone on in Ireland between the north and the south and such. And that night, it was a place about a little bit smaller than this, but also big, maybe even the size. And uh, in the place was charismatics, cruisermatics, they were all there. And uh, the Anglicans were there, the Protestants were there, and all. And I saw what happened when people availed themselves to God. They made themselves ready and also announced themselves ready yeah. and placed themselves in a place of absolute readiness. And let me say, I was never before interrupted in my sermon. I still had 15 minutes to go, but I couldn't go further. It was just cries all over in Ireland, in that hall. People crying, sobbing, running to one another, cloaked leaders, ran across, hugged one another. And for the next four, five, six hours we were in that place, people couldn't stop. And maybe in a small little way, just a small little way, it made a contribution yeah. to the peace in Ireland. We know the same God. May I suggest that more of this be out? May I suggest we go back to what worked for us 22 years ago and that brought that smile on our faces where we walked in the street and not everybody will give you a, a high five back. I went to ask one man for forgiveness and I said, I've come to ask you for forgiveness and he slapped my fist. And I was just surprised. I, there was nothing I could do. He refused my forgiveness that I asked. I just felt, well, we both owe one another, but I'm going to get my thing right. And I asked, he stretched my hand, wanted to hug him, and he just pushed me away, slashed. What can I do? I've done all that I could. From there onward, I can begin to pray for him. I want to salute once again this church yeah. for taking this bold initiative to go where others don't easily go and talk about issues that's relevant to our day. And I just pray that just our time is up. Uh, maybe one of the other leaders will do it. I just want to ask you as a friend, 
that you also search your heart. Why? Because Jesus needs you and the world out there needs you, but he needs you that you have already equipped yourself, that you know that you're not living in enmity with somebody around, that you have given forgiveness, sought forgiveness. God will give it to you, but let your neighbors and your friends, let this church, who is on their way to great things for God, go forward not only in strength and in power, but go forward as a model of forgiveness. I wish you well, and on behalf of my friends, say thank you. On behalf of you, I say thank you this, to this brother, to this professor, to this professor, and to this senior professor. All of them. Amen.